ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 33. And as we continue in our series on Hope is Rising, I want us to talk about how to praise God in the storm. When you're in a storm, when you're in a crisis, how do you praise God in the midst of that? As Tom Ellick would say, how do you keep from being pooch-mouthed? was flying to Pennsylvania this week to uh, check out our site for refresh in the Northeast. And while we were in the Atlanta airport, I went into the bookstore and I saw a title of a book that intrigued me. I looked at a couple of the endorsements, picked it up, and read it between Atlanta and Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm a fast reader, plus I skip a lot of illustrations. But uh, <clears throat> the book was worth the first chapter. The price of the book was worth the first chapter. And in that chapter, he asked three disruptive questions. The three questions that will change the way you're thinking, that will change the way you pray, that will change the way you approach God. And so I want to give them to you very briefly as we're already in point one of perspective is imperative. Question number one, does God know your situation? Question number one, does God know your situation? Does he? That's pretty weak. Okay, does God know your situation? Yes. Second question, is it too hard for him to handle? If God knows your situation, then is it too hard for God to handle it? Whatever it is, no. Third question, does he have a good plan for you? So let's look at the three questions real quick. You probably wrote them down. Does God know your situation? Yes, he does. Is it too hard for him to handle? No, it's not. Does he have a good plan for you? Yes, he does. Now in your life, if you're breathing, you're going through a storm. It may be a minor storm, it may be a small gust, it could be a gale force wind, or you could feel like you're in a Cat 5 tornado or hurricane. It could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be mental, it could be financial, it could be with your health. But you have at your beck and call divine resources that God has given you to handle the storms that come in life. The question is not, Will there be a storm? The question is, how am I going to handle the storm? And has God given me anything to prepare me for it? Yes, he has. First of all, the word. He's given you the word. The word is filled with the promises of God. Over and over and over again in the word of God, it says, fear not. The word talks about having hope. Secondly, he's giving you the indwelling Holy Spirit. You're not fighting this battle on your own. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God inside of you if you're a believer. Thirdly, you have the prayers of the saints. You have the prayers of the saints. Other people that will join you in praying for you and with you in these situations. And then you have the body of Christ. The body of Christ. That's why it's important 
for you to be a part not only of the big corporate body, but for you to be a part of the small group fellowship in the life of this church because in that group you build relationships with people that you can share your heart with. Some of you are going through storms and you're going through them and you're in isolation because you've not put yourself in an environment with people that you can share your heart with that will pray with you and will pray for you. So you have these divine resources. Listen, we need to understand suffering does not make us wise. If suffering made us wise, the world would be wise. But the world is not wise. Wisdom comes from God. The Word of God makes us wise. And so when I'm going through a storm, when I'm going through a battle or a crisis, then I need to see what God's Word has to say because in that, He will tell me how to navigate the storm. Have you ever noticed, now married couples do not respond verbally to this because it could be a really bad lunch. Have you ever noticed that we have selective hearing? You kind of hear what you want to. And sometimes when your spouse says, hey, could you go get something for me? You kind of pretend like you didn't hear it. Your kids ever have selective hearing until you use their first and middle name when you're calling them or your voice gets to a certain pitch? We have selective hearing sometimes. We hear what we want to hear. And if we don't like what we hear, then we kind of tune it out. But could I suggest to you that sometimes in the body of Christ, and mostly because of religious television and really bad theological bestsellers, we have selective reading too. We read books that don't tell us the truth. We read stuff that tells us if you love God, you'll never have a problem. I want you to find the chapter and verse that matches up with that theology. There's not one. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. You're going to have it. In Hebrews 11, we read that. We love the first part of Hebrews 11. You know, by faith they did this and they overcame kingdoms and they overcame the sword and they conquered and, and they escaped the sword. They shut the mouths of lions. And we kind of like to stop right there. Let's just stop right there. But you see, the chapter of faith has the story of overcomers and it also has the story of those who were crushed in their affliction. Look at what it says. It's on the screen. And others were tortured not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Now, if you read all of that, you will find out that believing God, loving God, and living by faith doesn't always get you what you want. Nobody would volunteer to be stoned, to be tortured, to be put to death by sword. 
And yet before the day is over, several hundred of your fellow believers in Christ around the world will be killed by the sword by people that say they are a part of a peaceful religion simply because they confess faith in the one true God. Now, there's a word here, others. He, he says others were tortured, not, not when he's talking about Gideon and Daniel and, and David and, and Moses, but others. It means, the word there means others of a different kind. God chose to do something different with them than he did with the first ones he mentioned. God had a plan for them. God had a purpose in their suffering. God had a purpose in their storm. And they put their hope in something they never saw. But they believed God. The world didn't think much of them, so the world killed them. But God recognized them and saw them from a different point of view. You see, faith looks to the future because that's where the greatest rewards are found. So why are there storms in life? Why are you going through a storm right now? Why, why are you dealing with adversity right now? Number one, because you're human. Because you're human. We're human. We're going to go through storms because we live in a fallen world. Secondly, because of sin. <clears throat> you know, one day I'm just wondering how long the line's going to be in glory when we get to tell Adam and Eve, you know, you know what you cost us? We would have been fine if you hadn't taken the one thing God took. Now, remember, God didn't tell them there was anything they couldn't have except one thing. It's kind of like us now. You tell a five-year-old there's one thing they can't do, and they're going to do it. Why? Because of sin. Well, my five-year-old is not a sinner. Oh, let me, let me talk to him for about five minutes. I'll prove to you that your five-year-old is a sinner. Because of sin. Because God prunes us. Because part of storms are pruning us so that we depend on God and God alone. That we quit trusting in our ability to fix our lives. Some of you in this room today and you're wondering why God hadn't come through because you're in the way. You're in the way. You're not letting God do what he wants to do in your life because you're trying to tell God how to do it. And by the way, he does not have an advisory council. And he's not running for office. He's God. And so God prunes us. But then there's a fourth thing, because of the devil's desire to destroy us. Because of the devil's desire to destroy us. Satan will ask for permission to put you in a storm. And God may very well give it. And in that storm, the devil wants you to curse God and die. He wants you to blame God. He wants you to look at God as the raw deal here. And the raw deal is not from God. The raw deal is because Satan is the father of lies. And he's the destroyer. And he hates everything about your life. Secondly, praise is an act of faith and hope. Psalm 33, which Stephen read a couple of verses from a few moments ago, is a psalm of praise in two sections. It's 22 verses divided by the first 11 verses and the next 11. It's, it's equally divided. It is a psalm of adoration and devotion about the goodness of God. So I want to give you just some highlights because we're going to jump in at verse 13. In verse 4, 
he tells us the Word of God is always true. The Word of God is always true. God is not a liar. He does not tell lies. His Word is true. Secondly, God is always good. I want you to notice the emphasis on the word always. God is always good. This world is not always good. People are not always good. Situations and circumstances are not always good. But God is always good. Verse 6, God's work is eternal. So when you're in a storm, you have to remember that this is a temporary situation. That the Word of God is eternal. It's not just true, but it's eternal. What God has said is fixed. How it's all going to turn out is already determined. Next, God's counsel stands forever, verse 11. God's counsel stands forever. You, you don't have to wonder, well, we're in the 21st century. Things are different. There's a lot more technology. Maybe, maybe, maybe God's counsel is old news. It is old news, and it's also good news. It's also eternal news. God's counsel stands forever. You can trust the counsel of God. And then in verse 18, God sees and knows everything. God sees and knows everything. He knows everything you're going through, and he knows how you feel about it. So pick up at verse 13 in Psalm 33, if you would. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them, all he who understands all their works, the king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. Now, there's, there's not one verse in the Bible that tells you to be sad in the Lord. But have you ever met some Christians that they, they think that's a verse in the Bible? How you doing today? I'm pretty good under the circumstances. I mean, there, there are millions of Eeyore Christians. Thanks for noticing me. There's not one word in the Bible that tells you to be sad in the Lord. You may be in sad circumstances, but you don't have to be sad in the Lord. The Bible says we're to hope in the Lord. We're to trust in the Lord. We are to rejoice in the Lord. I'm not talking about faking it. I'm talking about putting on your godly face. Stop walking around on your lip, tripping over it all the time. Put on your godly face. Show the world how a Christian responds to adversity. Show the world how a Christian responds to storms and to crisis and to trials. Because in what you do and how you act it out and live it out, you have a witness. 
and you have a testimony. Verse 1 of chapter 33, the righteous and upright are commanded to give praise. It doesn't say unless you're in trouble. Verses 2 and 3, I want you to look at verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 33. It tells us that the main instrument of our praise is our voice. By the way, Psalm 33 is the first mention of musical instruments in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, of the use of musical instruments, which says to some of our friends that don't believe that there should be musical instruments in the church, you had not read your Bible. Well, why we got all this stuff up here? We got stringed instruments. And we got horns and tambourines. They're all mentioned in the Bible. Be good to read it to help your theology and also help your worship a little bit. Here's the problem. Too many people take music in worship for granted. And there are too many people that think the music is what we stand through or sit through until we get to the Word. It is a part of worship. The psalmist is praising God. He says we're to praise Him with instruments and we are to praise Him with our voices. And what that means, if I'm going to praise God, and I want to tell you, you're, you're going to have a sad face if you don't learn to praise God. If I'm going to praise God, you need to do it more than half-heartedly. You need to do it with joy in your heart. God doesn't just desire our best. He deserves our best. Don't lose the power behind the words which were sung this morning. Don't lose the power behind the fact that when the corporate body gathers together to worship, God is listening to our playing and to our singing. You ever wondered if God has ever thought about sending an angel down to nudge you and say, would you wake them up? They're singing songs of praise to me, and they're not participating. Well, I just don't feel like singing today. Is your situation too hard for God to handle? No. Does God have a good plan for you? Then get your praise up. Quit walking around like a lost person that has no resources. I've already given you enough resources that you ought to ask us to do the singing again this morning because you want to praise God. So here's what the psalmist is telling us. We praise God because of the character of God. We don't praise God if our circumstances are good because they're not always good. We praise God because of his character, because of his word, because of his work. Then there are the promises and the provisions of God. Look again at verse 18. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope for his loving kindness. You see, knowing God's help gives me hope. That God will help gives me hope. Verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. Or as one translation reads, we wait in hope for the Lord. James Montgomery Boyce says, the thought of God looking down on us and watching over us is so strong in this section that a number of scholars have titled it God's Eyes. In fact, if you back up into Psalm 32 and verse 8, it says, I will counsel you and watch over you. Listen, God is keeping an eye on you. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're walking through. 
He knows your fears. He knows your anxiety. He knows your hurts. He knows your problems. He knows your concerns. He's watching over you. God's eye is on you. He's looking at you in your situation. Now, David is not calling for a pep rally. He's calling for a praise service. He's calling us to praise God in the midst of storms, knowing that God is watching over us. And so in verses 20 and 22, we are to reflect on who God is and what he does and to put our hope in him. Now, there are four key words here for the storm. Wait, rejoice, trust, and hope. Wait for the Lord. Rejoice in him. Trust in his holy name. Hope in his loving kindness. You ought to write in the margin of your Bible or in your notes somewhere where you can remember these. That when I'm in a storm, I need to wait, rejoice, trust, and hope. Because God is watching. And God's watching to see, are we waiting? Are we rejoicing? Are we trusting? Are we hoping? One of my best friends in life went to be with the Lord a number of years ago. He preached 13 consecutive Bible conferences here. Ron Dunn was a hero to me, a mentor to me, and a friend that sticks closer than a brother. One of the last Bible conferences that he did, he did at Sherwood in our old building. He preached on Sunday morning. He had come here sick. He had been sick for a number of months. He preached on Sunday morning. He went into the hospital here on Sunday afternoon. They did surgery on his lung on Tuesday. He recouped for about three weeks in the Strauss house. And I remember helping him get to the car when he was finally strong enough to go home. And I said, Ron, do you want to go in and see the building? We were not through, but we had a lot of this done. And he said, no, I'll see it the next time I come to preach. Little did he know or did I know that he would never preach in this auditorium. He went home. He was sick for a number of months, basically homebound for seven months. He spent six weeks in the hospital. During that time, Kim, his daughter, was in a car wreck and had to have her left leg amputated because of the car wreck. At the same time, Kay, his wife, found out she had cancer and she was going through chemotherapy. In May, before he died that summer, Ron preached in the church he had pastored, MacArthur Boulevard, and preached a Bible conference. He preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. It was the first time, May was the first time he had preached since he preached on Sunday morning here in September the previous year. About two weeks later, he called Tom Elliff. Tom was then a pastor of the First Southern Baptist Church in Dell City. And Tom had a relationship with Ron much like I did, and, and he had one with Manly Beasley. And we both had said to both those men, which I've said to Tom Elliff about Sherwood, if God ever gives you a word that you need to preach to our church and God tells you you need to preach it, you come, I'll pay your way, and the pulpit is yours. 
If God tells you you're the prophet for our church, if God tells you we need to hear something, you come. So Ron called Tom, and he preached. And he got in his car, and he drove home, and a few days later went into the hospital and died. During this whole process, Ron wrote these words. I lay in bed thinking of what value am I now? Everything that made my life purposeful seemed to have been cannibalized by my disease. During this time, I was led to start reading and studying Paul's letter to the Philippians. God both rebuked me and encouraged me. He said to me that there was more to being his child than preaching. And if I found my worth only in health and strength and preaching, I was missing a big point. The big point being that my ultimate aim in life was none of these, but that I may know him. In verses 7 and 8, Paul speaks of counting all of his gains as loss, that he might gain Christ. Gradually, he leads up to the ultimate goal, and it reads like this. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, having the righteousness that is from God based on faith in Christ so that I may know him, that I may know him more intimately, that my relationship with him may grow deeper and deeper, never ceasing nor slowing in growth until I see him in the final resurrection. To know Christ means to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. It is strange that he should speak of power and sufferings in the same statement. Note the sequence. Power, then sufferings. We would probably reverse the order. Suffering, then power. And of course, with Christ, that was the order. He had to suffer before he knew the power of resurrection. For us, it is the opposite. First the power, and then the suffering. The power of the resurrection is the life-giving power of God manifested in the raising of Christ from the dead, which also works in us. When we are saved, we experience the power, but then we experience the sufferings. It is the power of the resurrection that enables us to share in his sufferings. And then he closed it with this. To take as our ultimate aim in life, to know him, is to have an aim and purpose that nothing can interfere with or take away. Stripped by sickness, affliction, or poverty, or anything else, cannot prevent us from coming to him in a deeper and more intimate fashion. Stripped of everything, there's nothing that can keep us from coming to him in a deeper and more intimate fashion. Would you bow your heads? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. This morning I want to ask you a question. Are you in a storm? And are you trying to get through that storm in your own strength? 
Are you in a storm thinking, I'm going to help God with this? I don't need God's help with this. Are you trying to do this in your own strength? Or are you depending on the Lord? The question is really deeper. Do you have Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Because if you do not have Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you do not have the help you need in the storm. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That you're in a storm and you need a deliverer. That you need a God who can step into your life right now and do in you and through you and for you what you cannot do for yourself. And what I'm going to ask you to do with, with no standing up right now, I'm just going to ask you, if you're in a storm and you need Christ, you need Christ to save you today. You need Christ to hope in today. You need Christ to cry out to today. And you don't have Christ in your life. You don't know that you have a personal relationship with him. And I'm going to ask you to get up from where you are right now, in the front, in the back, in the balcony, on the mezzanines, wherever you are, the people around you will let you out. I'm going to ask you to get up and find your way down to the front right now, not waiting on anybody else. If you're in a storm, listen, if there's a life preserver and you're in a storm and what you need is a life preserver, one's being thrown to you right now. His name is Jesus. He's the one that can meet you at your point of need. He's the one that can take you through the storm. He's the one that can say to your heart, peace, be still. Only Jesus can do that. And if you don't know Christ, if you don't know a, a right relationship with Christ, I'm asking you to step out right now from where you are. Just get up from where you are and say, Jesus, I need you. I'm in a storm. I need you today. I need you to help me in this storm. I need you to save me in this storm in life. Nobody's looking around. I'm going to ask you to step out and come. Anybody else that needs to come right now, you need to step out and say, I need Jesus in this storm. I need to trust Jesus in this storm. Anybody else need to come? Some are still coming. Christians pray. There are people in this room that are finding that they need Christ in the storm that they're in right now. So I'm going to ask you to pray specifically, to pray seriously about those who are going through a storm and need Christ in their life today. Come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus. Give him your heart. Give him your life. Put the storm in his hands. He's the only one that can calm your heart in the middle of this storm. He's the only one that can take control of the wheel and guide you through it. Anybody else need to come? You just need to step out and say, Lord Jesus, help. I need your help. Anyone else? Just a second longer. Now, those of you that are believers, we have some people that are already in a counseling room being talked to about their relationship with Christ. I'm going to ask you to pray for them right now. That God would give them clarity to see their need of Christ and that Christ is the hope that they are looking for.
Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, and our men are here at the front, if you're a believer, you know you have a relationship with Christ, but you are in a storm right now. I mean, it's not, you're, you're not in a slight breeze, you're in a storm. There's just a storm going on in your life right now. It could be in your marriage. It could be with your kids. It could be with your parents. It could be with your job. It could be with your health, with your money. But I mean, right now you're in a storm. And you need to learn to depend on God's resources. You need to trust in the Lord in this storm. Now I'm going to ask you, just right where you are, just raise your hand. I'm in a storm, and I need, I need somebody to pray for me. I'm just in a storm. Now, while your hand is up, I'm going to ask you just to quietly just stand to your feet. I want to pray for you, and I want other people to pray for you. So, church family, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to look around. You're going to see some people standing around you, and I'm going to ask you to gather around them, and I'm going to ask you to pray for them. Just move right now. And start finding some of these folks and pray for them. You don't have to know what the storm is. You don't have to know what they're going through. But they need prayer today. They need encouragement today. So I'm going to ask you to pray over them and for them right now, out loud. Just ask God to meet them in their storm right now. Father, you know these situations and these that stood, raised their hands and then stood have been honest enough to say, I'm going through a storm. Lord, not only do they have the resources of the Word of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit, but they have the prayers of the saints and this morning they experienced just a touch the prayers of the saints for them in their storm. So I pray, Father, for the peace that passes all understanding that will result in praising you in the storm that they're in, no matter what it is, no matter how big it is or how long it's been going on. I pray for peace and for praise. In Jesus' name.